Hey everybody, welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. It is of course Thad Forrester and it's been a few months. I know, it's been since January and uh, it's just been tough. I think I warned you that it, my episodes would be much more sporadic now and that's just kind of the way life is right now. And I, But I've missed it and I've got this kind of a special Memorial Day episode uh, with Renee Nickel who is a Gold Star sister, she's an author, she's a writer and she's got some good stuff going on because she started off doing everything herself, and now she's got a publicist, and the book is getting re-released. Her book about her brother, Major Samuel Griffith, that is going to come out on June 14th. It's already out right now, but the new, I guess the, the new version will be out on June 14th. So I'll have some links here in the show notes, and we're going to talk about, it's you know, there is some heavy stuff here. It's It's emotional for her to talk about his death, and some of the experiences she went through the days following his death about the dignified transfer at Dover Air Force Base, the funeral, some, I guess, some conflicts in the family she speaks about. We don't talk about that much here, but the book talks about that. And then what's going on since? She's a mother of three, a wife, and so her life, she had to continue on, but it was a tough struggle for her, especially the, the first few years She's overcome some trials and, and is continually overcoming some and, and working to get her brother's name and story out there and to help as many people as she can. They don't have to be just military-related. It doesn't have to be someone who's lost a loved one. It can be anyone that's gone through some trials. So I had a great time talking with her. She and I obviously have some things in common, and hopefully we'll have a joint book signing going on sometime in, in 2019. So let's get in and talk to Renee. All right, so Renee, I was watching on Fox News July 4th this past year in 2018, and they previewed you coming on. I was like, oh, i got to watch this. I had never heard of you, never seen you, and then so I watched the interview with you talking about your book, Always My Hero. And, of course, I was intrigued, and I was dialed in, and you know, you, you lost your brother and in war, and so... Since I have that, since we share that, I was like, I, I, I want to connect yeah. with her. I want to talk to her. So I immediately went online and found you on Facebook, and I sent you a friend request. Maybe a message. I'm, I'm not even sure if I did that. But you, you kind of quickly uh, accepted it. But I think what you were doing is you were getting a lot of friend requests right after that. So you were, you were just going through mm-hmm. and accepting probably. But then later that day, I got a message from a former Patriot to the Corps guest Darren Sapp and he said hey Thad I know someone you should connect with and that's Renee Nickel and he, she was just okay. on, today on the Fox and Friends and I said I'm already on it man I'm already connected with her and, <laughs> and uh, so anyway you and I talked on the phone shortly after that after I started reading actually I started reading your book first and I felt like I knew exactly I, I was there in your growing up with you and Sam growing up because kind of small town playing outside a lot mm-hmm. y'all were close and so I was like man I, I can relate to all this about the same time period was this late early 80s late 70s yeah um, so I just all the similarities so anyway I enjoyed talking to you so now here we are finally we've been trying to do this for a long time so thank you for right <laughs> oh thank you for having me a lot's happened in the last 10 months yeah, well, you've been doing some kick-butt work yourself, just promoting the book and you know your brother's name and then you know, speaking in articles, and so hopefully we can talk about all of that. Uh, but first of all, after that long introduction, I guess, of me rambling, I do want to ask you, that you how long has it been since Sam was killed, and, then, and kind of what are some of the different emotions that you've gone through? Well, he um, he was killed December 14th of 2011, so it's uh, been seven and a half years, which just kind of blows my mind that we're coming up on eight years. Um, you know, I, I just, I picture him, you know, that last hug leaving, you know, on the porch, my mom's porch, and um, it just, it doesn't feel like it's been seven and a half, you know, almost eight years since that's happened, so... Um, you know, roller coaster of emotion, you know, in the beginning, you know, as you know, it's just a state of shock. I mean, you're in shock for a while. That shock doesn't 
go away after, you know, a week or a month or a couple months. It just kind of lingers there for quite a while. Um, you know, a good year, I'd say. And then, you know, you just go through sadness and anger and depression and, you know, the whys. You know, why did this happen? Who or what was the anger kind of um, directed towards? Or was it just the fact um, that he was gone? Yeah, I think it was I think it was the fact that he was gone, but um you know, I think when um when a trauma happens, you know, any or any kind of really hard situation in our life, um you know, the I just think anger always seems to be the first emotion. Uh and so, you know, I really struggled with, you know, after my brother died, um you know, I had to face a lot of things from my past, you know, from our childhood growing up. Um, and just the fact that he wasn't there anymore, you know, cause you know, my brother and I were very close and, and he was sort of that father figure to me. Um, I didn't have a really great relationship with my dad growing up. Um, you know, not like I had wanted. And so Sam just kind of, he just kind of always had me under his wing. And, um, and so there was a lot of, you know, just, feelings of abandonment um just sadness and and um and you know so it just kind of it just kind of came out as anger was there ever any anger towards people from the middle east or anyone from afghanistan that kind of was he in afghanistan or iraq he was in afghanistan you know there was in the beginning I, i remember when um when he was killed and I just remember beating my fist on the kitchen table. And I mean, I'm talking moments after he had been shot, that we found out he had been shot and killed. And, you know, I was surprised my hands weren't just bruised from beating my hands on this marble top table. And I was just so angry with the terrorists who had killed my brother. I mean, even the fact that he was in war, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the risk. You know, you know, he's he's going over there to do a mission. Um, but when it when it happens, you know, when when it's your loved one who was killed. Um, yeah, I was I was really, really um, I don't even know if anger <laughs> is a passionate enough word to say how I felt um, towards, you know, the Taliban that killed my brother. So, um but, you know, after time that, that kind of, that subsided and, uh, my, all my emotions now were, it, it was just grief. It, it just turned into, you know, these, these feelings of grief. You said maybe about a year to kind of, um, function normally. Is that, is that really what you said or, or was it a different amount well, of time? I think, I think it was a year that I was in shock uh, and disbelief. And then, you know, that's kind of where that shock starts wearing off and you kind of enter the reality that he's not on some secret mission, that he really is gone, that he's not coming home. And then, you know, I, I've heard this and I've, I've said this, that the second year is worse than the first because it's, it's really when the reality hits and you have to start dealing with things. Um, you know, and, and I don't even think two years out, I don't think I was dealing with things well. So um, I don't think it was until probably four years after he died that I really started facing things and, um, you know, just doing some self-evaluation and realizing that I had a lot of work to do. I mean, you have kids. Uh, I didn't have any children when Mark was killed, so it was a little different mm. for me. How did you go on being a mom and a wife? Well, <laughs> um, yeah, it was hard. I my twelve year old, I had a twelve year old at the time, and then um, my middle daughter was five, and then I had a one year old son. You know, my son had just turned one when he died, and um, you know, I even. To this day, I look back at pictures during those first two years, and I'll have to ask my oldest daughter, hey, 
where where were we in this picture? What were we doing? You know, I don't even remember this. So there's really a two year time frame where I have such a lapse in memory, um, which you know I'm, I'm probably certain there's just a lot of things I didn't said you know during that time that um, I wish I hadn't. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's just it was really, really hard. You know, I, I dealt with a lot of difficult issues with my daughter. Um, you know, she's 19 now and she's doing great. She's on her own. And, um, uh, but we went through a very difficult time, you know, going through her teenage years, you know, that preteen, cause she was very, um, you know, she, she was very, very affected by my brother's death. And, um, she just kind of like internalized everything. And so we just, as a mom, you know, or we, we just butted heads because I'm dealing with grief and she's dealing with grief. And I don't even realize she's dealing with grief, you know, because I'm just trying to make it. And, um, it, it was really, really hard. Just, you know, I look back now and I just, I say we made it by the grace of God, honestly. Yeah. I'm guessing when you look back at those pictures, do you see a worn, look on your face too like wow look at those wrinkles under my eyes or look at those dark spots under my eyes or anything like that there's a lot of pictures where i just say i have such sad eyes (laughs) yeah yeah let's let's talk about sam's last few days renee um that that last mission we can you lead us up to like the last few days and what his roles were and why he put himself in a situation that kind of exposed himself more. Sure. So he was um, an F-18 fighter pilot and he quit flying. Um, He decided to take his expertise to a Anglico unit down in West Palm Beach, the fourth Anglico. So he was the um, detachment officer in charge. And, um, you know, he, this was, his third deployment. So his first two, he did Iraq and then this was his first deployment to Afghanistan. And, and so he decided that, you know, he wanted to, um, he had done a, uh, a tour in the air and he, you know, he had done a tour and on the ground with the fourth Anglico, um, in Iraq. And, but he, he wanted to go to Afghanistan and make sure his guys got home safe. So, um, you know, he went over there, he was, five weeks into it, you know, it was right after Thanksgiving. He, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Always leading up to this is just so hard for me to talk about. Um, He saw one of his guys, Jason Hartzell, under heavy fire. You know, my my brother was a uh, forward air controller. So he would, you know, he was at backup base and he was watching the live video feed and calling in air support for his Marines, you know, on the ground and, and um, and he was watching this monitor and he just he was watching Jason Hartzell just under heavy fire, you know, for just extended periods of time. And he was just like, you know, I just I can't do that. I just can't keep watching him, you know, get shot at. So when all the guys came back in the base, um, you know, he just kind of sat everybody down and and he told Jason that he was going to take his shift, you know, the next night. And um you know, Jason was going to view the feed. And so he went out with um, Jim Winters and uh, Sergeant Winters. And, you know, they were about 200 feet or um, 200 yards from the, from the compound and um, bullets just started raining down. You know, they just, they just didn't know where the gunfire was coming from. They just immediately just crouched down in a ditch and, um, and Sam knew he was like, they, they got to figure out where the, the gunfire is coming from. They've got, you know, like 30 guys out there and the Royal Marines are out there. And, and so he decided to stand up to take fire on himself, but, you know, he wasn't able to crouch down in time. And, and so he was, uh, mortally wounded and, um, he was a, a pretty, he was an expert sniper. So, you know, the, the area in which my brother was, was shot and killed was the only area that wasn't covered. Um, and that was his face. So, 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, he was killed instantly and well, I mean, all his guys came home, you know, I can say that they, they all actually, they all came home seven months later on his birthday, June 14th, which is the same day I'm re-releasing the book. So they had to get him out of there, calling a medevac, I guess. Correct. Yep. They, um, you know, his, his guys were kind of scattered, um, in different areas. And so, you know, they heard over the radio man down and, um, a couple of his guys, you know, kind of instinctively knew immediately it was Sam. And, um, you know, it's just, I mean, when I was writing the book and when I was hearing them tell this story, you know, and you hear these Marines just try to get through a story, you know, it, it's hard. It's, it's not just hard for me. It's hard for, for all of them still. Well, how did yeah. you find out and how much, how long after he was actually killed did you find out in your um, family? I want to say I found out about five hours later. Um, they contacted uh, the, well, my mom had left for work already. So um, the Marines who showed up at her door uh, missed her by about 30 minutes. And um, so she was on her way to work and she was in her office when, when actually my sister-in-law called her and told her. So, um you know, basically, my mom just, I mean, she lost it. Uh, she just, she just was screaming. She had people running to her office. She lives, you know, she works in like this corporate building in, um, in Boca, Raton, Florida. And so, you know, they just heard her screaming and, um, you know, immediately came to her attention and, and she, and she knew she was like, I have to call Renee and tell her. And, um, and when she called me, you know, and I'm just picturing in my mind what the scene must have looked like because I had just gotten my kids ready for school and I was about to drop them off. And at this time, at this point, we were living in um, at Eglin Air Force Base close to Destin, Florida. So, I mean, just de- mid-December, still just beautiful weather. And I and I just remember it was sunny outside and it was 7:30 in the morning and I was going to go Christmas shopping for the kids cuz I hadn't had time to do that yet and I was getting ready to drop them off at school and I just you know put my makeup on and my hair and I looked over at the nightstand because my phone rang and it was 7:34 and and I re- just remember thinking why is my mom calling me at 7:30 in the morning and um uh, actually to this day she doesn't call me before 9 a.m. so um because it just um, huh? you know Oh yeah, just invokes that that um, traumatic stress, and so um, I picked up the phone, and she's just crying hysterically, and I can't even understand what she's saying, and and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, something happened to my brother. Like I, I, I immediately thought, okay, my brother was injured, but he was coming home, and I'm thinking at least he's alive. But I just have to figure. I just have to get my mom to tell me what happened. Renee, and, were you thinking this partly because he typically was not directly out exposed, or did that have anything to do with it, or was that not even the case? Um, I think that was part of it because I knew he he was an officer, he was a major, and he had no reason to be out in the direct line of fire. Um, and I and I knew what he did. I knew he was, you know back at base. I, I knew he would be safe. That was part of it. The other part was he was my big brother and he was invincible and nothing could ever happen to him. And, and I just didn't think that it, that something like that sort of loss could happen to our family. I just, I didn't think it was possible. And uh, boy, you know, it's like things like that, that just totally just wreck your world, you know, and just, make you realize how small you really are, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I just didn't think that mm-hmm. that would ever happen to him. So, so what do you do now? You've got a one-year-old, you've got other, <sighs> other kids. I mean, what happens? You have to call your husband. So I, as soon as my mom, you know, as soon as she said, Renee, your brother was killed in Afghanistan, you know, I dropped the phone and I just started screaming 
And my 12 year old came in and I didn't learn this actually until years later that when we were able to talk about it, that she actually knew when she, she heard the kind of scream that I was screaming, that she knew that uncle Sammy had been killed. And, um, and so she ran in and I told her, I said, uncle Sammy is dead. And she said, okay, I, I, I'll go call dad. And I mean, she just like, I mean, she didn't even start crying or any, she just like immediately took over into this role and went and she called her dad and she was like, you know, dad, uncle Sammy was killed in Afghanistan, you know, and my husband was on his way to base and he had turned around and then she just started calling, you know, my best friends and they all started coming over and they just, she took, um, my, uh, five-year-old and my one-year-old and she took them now. I mean, if you can imagine this, like she's like trying to usher them into the bedroom, into like a little corner of the room. And my five-year-old is like, you know, why is mommy screaming? And, and my 12 year old is just, you know, she's like, it's okay. You know, everything's okay. You know, and she's just calming them. And I mean, it still blows my mind away because my five-year-old is now 12. So I, I think about that sometimes. And, you know, she just took control and I just completely lost it. <laughs> um, I, I was completely incapacitated. I, I couldn't do anything. And I just had people rally around me and pack our suitcases for us. And, you know, I, I was unable to make any decisions at that point. Well, so the next, uh, if I leave something important out, tell me. But so what's next is you you go to Dover, which is mm-hmm. where I, I think that's where everybody comes home to, right? That's all the ones that have been killed or in the, in the at least in Afghanistan and Iraq, are going back through Dover Air Force Base. Is that right? I believe so. I mean, okay. that's, that's as far we as my knowledge is. So yeah. I mean, you, you had can, to get there. Correct. So I mean, yeah, tell us about that. Fam- and I know yeah. there was some your aunt. There was some there were some family issues trying to get to the right place and that kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, for people who read the book, um, you know, they read the introduction. They'll just have to figure out that you know I had to use pseudonyms for some people. You know, um, so you know. I think people who read the book and they're like, well, we don't know who Aunt Mabel is. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, um, you know, the Bible says we should cover it. Love covers a multitude of sins, right? So, um, yeah, there was some, we were, uh, um, my, you know, husband worked in the military, single income family. Um, and we realized that because I was not listed on the, um, the my brother's notification sheet, you know, should he yep. be killed in action, um, we didn't get a CACO, you know, casu- we didn't get a casualty officer. So that means we didn't get a flight. We didn't get, you know, we didn't get any arrangements. And um, I'm actually working now at, um, maybe it, we'll talk about this later, but um, starting a foundation that actually helps with that. But um, so we didn't have we didn't have the money to drive, you know, from Florida all the way to Dover, Delaware. It was actually um, a, a pastor showed up at our house, had you know learned of of Sam's death, and he just happened to have four hundred dollars in his in his pocket, and he gave us four hundred dollars, and it was able to get us to Dover. Um, which was, I mean, it was a miracle because, you know, my parents were in no condition whatsoever to make any kind of decisions on mm-hmm. what, how to help us. Um, so we, we drove to Dover. Um, I, I was pretty much awake for 48 hours straight. I remember we stopped at a hotel halfway and I just sat in bed and I was just wide eyed. You know, it's like, I, I, I didn't even, I didn't even know how to cope. So we drove to Dover and, you know, we got, we were able to stay at the Fisher house. Um, our family of five was 
stayed in a room with like two twin beds because that's all they had left. And so we were like, we'll take it. <laughs> we will graciously take this room with two twin beds. Sure. And, um, and so, you know, the kids slept on the floor and we slept in twin beds. But, you know, at that point, you don't really care where you sleep. You just, um, it's all just um, so surreal. You know, you're just, you're having people tell you exactly what your next movement is because you can't, you don't even know. You don't even know what to do next. Tell us about the ceremony there uh, when, when his when his body arrives and that flag drape transfer case oh, or man. casket. And, yeah. Because that's something that very few people experience. Yeah. So we were standing in the kitchen of the Fisher House. Um, and for those listening who don't know what the Fisher House is, the, the Fisher House is... Um, a charitable organization and they're at a lot of bases. They help family members who are getting medical treatment, family members of, of military who are getting medical treatment at, at um, you know, the hospitals there on base. Um, in the case of Dover, um, it's used as a place for families to stay when their fallen hero is, is coming home. So, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful home. And we're standing in the kitchen, and and I just remembered this guy in uniform. I don't even remember if it was a Marine uniform or an Army uniform. I don't remember his name or rank. Um, I just remember him telling us that um, that Sam was coming home, that he was about to be, that they were about to land, and um, he said, "I want you to understand that this is going to be the, the the most horrible thing you ever experience in your life." Like he was like, you're, you're about to experience just the worst part of all of this. And we were just kind of like, how could that be possible? You know, we already know that he's dead, but, um, but he was right because when you, you know, we went out on that ambulance, it was a cold, cold December night. Um, and there's, you know, you're, you're riding in this bus with, you know, your whole family and, you know, you can hear a pin drop. Um, and there's, there was just like this red flashing light in there. It was just black. And, um, you know, they take us out to the flight line and, and you can see the C-17 and the back is open. Um, and you might be able to, you know, I think we saw maybe a tip of the coffin, but, you know, we saw the, um, I think, I think they were Air Force, um, that, you know, were, were transferring him. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we were standing out there and we, you know, we got off the bus and there's chairs, you know, just lined up for us to sit. And do you remember I mean, media just, out there taking pictures or video? Um, I, I heard that Fox was going to be out there. Um, but I don't really, I, I don't remember media being out there. It was, um, tunnel vision it was mm-hmm. absolute tunnel vision as soon as we got off that bus um, and I just remember you know just standing there and you know the transfer starts and they begin taking him down off the plane and that's just kind of I, I mean my my mind immediately went to how do I know he's really in there you know I mean your mind just starts doing all of this self-protection I think oh yeah you, oh, yeah. you know, and you're just like, um, how do we know he's in there? How do we know that's him? Um, but it was it was hard. It was it was imagining him laying in there. And at that point, we didn't know the details of his death. Uh, we you know we didn't really know anything until the casualty report came back, and um, and we talked to you know some of his guys. So I had no idea you know, what condition my brother was in, in the coffin. And, and I think your imagination is always worse than, you know, how it really is. And, you know, it's just, um, you know, they, they transfer him. Um, they did a beautiful job, you know, into the back of the ambulance. And that was the last time we ever, you know, we ever saw him. He, they took him and, um, you know, ended up doing the autopsy and, and then cremated him. So, yeah, that was that was it. How many days later was the funeral? Let's see. He came. I want to say he came home on the 
15th or 16th, and then his uh, service was on the 19th of December. Yeah, that's one thing I thought about, Renee, when I was reading your book is, for me, my brother Mark was not cremated, so I saw his body there. And even though mm-hmm. even though it looked different, because they all do, you know, dead bodies. Um, yeah. And it was pretty horrible to look at. I mean, I guess it, it's still those questions of, is that really him? Is that really him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't have anything to look at. So yeah. that had to make it tougher, I would think. Well, I wonder, um, I've wondered this a lot over the years. I've wondered if it would make it easier or harder. Um, I know that they took pictures of him and they supposedly gave the pictures um, to his widow. and mm-hmm. and Or she can you know, get them. They're, wanted... they're available anyway, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, they, it was just, it was advised to our family that if he wasn't going to be cremated, that we do not do an open casket. Um, so, and that we not view the pictures. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know if, I, I just, I don't know if seeing him, you know, that one last time, I mean, is that something that you, you know, you have that last image of him? You know, is that, I mean, I just don't know if well, that would make things better no, or worse. Actually, I, I kind of, I kind of didn't explain myself. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think I, I agree with you. For me, it was more of, it was actually pretty awful. But as the years have gone by and I'm like, wow, it's been a long time. And that doubt of, is he really dead? Was yeah. that really him? Okay, well, mm-hmm. it does help that, okay, I did see him, even though it didn't look as much like him as I think it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, he also didn't have the, the injuries to his face. Because, yeah, that, I think that would have been really tough, Renee. So I think yeah. you, you may be better off that way. I think more for more, for me, it's just like it's the question of, well, was he even killed? Was he, was he sheep-dipped and... Is he out there somewhere? You know, it's all these mm-hmm. things, and sometimes it may not even make logical sense. But that's right. What, what goes through our heads? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, for a long time, you know, you're just. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, is he out there on some secret mission? You know, one of these days, you know, yeah. he's going to show up. You know, like Jason Bourne and just surprise us all. I mean, and I, I would have dreams like that too. You know, where I mean, dreams that were so real that, you know, he was alive and. So, I'd like to. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that if you're good with it. I mean, is this? I went for a long time with. Well, and I didn't have any dreams, but I wanted to. But it sounded it sounded like several other people that were close to Mark did. So mm-hmm. with you, I mean, is that one way that you feel like he communicates with you, or how often do you have dreams, or have you had some that have been really powerful that, that you may or may not want to talk about? You know, in this forum. Yeah, there have been um, there have been a couple dreams where I absolutely felt like God opened up the heavens and allowed us to have an interaction in our dream. Um, it, there was one that was shortly after he was killed. I'll never forget it. Um, and I just remember he was like 24, 25-year-old thin, not like... <laughs> 36 um you know he had he was just very trim and um and fit and perfect and and i just remember seeing him i was so excited to see him and i just remember grabbing a hold of him but knowing that he wasn't alive i mean he like i felt like Mm -hmm. he was alive in my dream but my brain knew that he was, he was not alive. And I just remember hugging him and, and I just remember him telling me that everything was going to be okay and that he's okay. Um, and I just, I mean, that dream was so powerful to me. Um, I've just, I've never forgotten it. Um, I've had, you know, other dreams like that where he's just very, very real to me you know, in my dream and I'm, I can have a conversation with him and, um, you know, it's, I'm just so thankful. Those are dreams you don't want to wake up from, you know, you just want to 
mm-hmm. kind of when you wake up, you want to go back into them. And um, they, I don't have, you know, I've probably had a you know a handful of dreams about him, um, you know, in the last few years. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I I look forward to those dreams. Renee, why did you write "Always My Hero"? Well, you know, when I was, um, you know, before my brother died, I just, I always felt like I had an interesting enough life that, and enough wisdom that I wanted to write a book. Um, you know, I just never had really pinpoint what it was about and or what, what it would be about. But, um, you know, after he was killed, I, I wanted to write a book, um, you know, but I'm still like in the midst of my grief and, about two to three years after he was killed, I started writing the book. And um, I want to say I wrote between like 10 and 30,000 words. Um, and then I just realized that it was just going to be a disaster. I wasn't ready. And um, I just, I deleted the whole thing. I mean, I don't even have it anywhere on my hard drive to even look back and see what I had written. Uh, I just, I just knew I wasn't ready. And um and so I just kind of put it on the shelf for another four years. And, you know, it was really the prompting of my friend Amanda, who was like, you know, when are you going to write that book? And and because she knew me so well, I mean, we had been friends for 10 years. So um, I think she really saw something in me that she felt that she could she could ask me that question. Um, and I was just kind of like, yeah, I think I'm I think I'm ready. Of course, I, I knew nothing about writing a book. Um, and, and the, through this process, you know, everything is, it's self-taught and, and I've just been kind of teaching myself along the way. Um, and so that was in September of 2017. And then, you know, I kind of started investigating ghostwriting, um, because I didn't really feel like I was capable of really writing something of really great depth and quality, um, but once I realized how expensive ghostwriting was, I was like, you know, I've just got to do this myself. And and once I started writing, um, I did it, you know, I, I did it, an outline um, and I just started writing. And when I, when I started writing, I realized how much I needed to write that story myself. And uh, I mean, it was just so therapeutic to sit there and relive all of these memories from our childhood. And um, I just about, I don't know, I was probably a third, maybe halfway into it. And I started looking at self-publishers and I found this amazing publisher, LifeWise Publishing, um, and Charity Bradshaw, she is the CEO, and she she also edited my book and and coached me through it and kept me accountable. And um, and so she just she was like, "Hey, you're going to finish this book. You're going to have it written in three months." And I thought she was crazy. I was like, "There's no way I can I can write this in three months." And and I did. I ended up writing it in three months just because she was on my case wow. about. It. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we're great friends now, so I can say that. But, you know, when I wrote the book, I really wanted uh, I wanted to write it in a way. This was the most important thing to me. I wanted the reader to feel like they knew my brother and they could visualize our story. And I wanted them to be able to love him enough that they felt the impact of his death when it happened. And, you know, I wanted the reader to, on some level identify with my grief you know what i went through the rest and otherwise i'm just you know it's just words on paper right you know if if the reader can't identify with with the words so that was that was the most important thing is that i wanted them to walk away from that book and say i know this guy like we would have been great friends (laughs) and from what i from what i've heard you know that's kind of been that's what people have been told me like Either he sounds just like my brother or we would have been great friends. And so um, I was, I was, um, I accomplished that. You did. I think so. What were some of the challenges that you faced? I think the greatest challenges. And maybe you're still, still facing. (laughs) 
Um, I don't think people realize how expensive it is. It is, uh, I, I think writing the book is the easy part. The publishing and marketing is the hard part, you know, especially if you don't have an established platform. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest challenge is, 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 you know, trying to convince people that you have something that they need. <laughs> so that's, that's been the, the biggest challenge out of all of this. Well, you've been doing pretty dang good. Well, thank book. you. So what's going on with the book now? You talked about a relaunch or yeah, a re-release, so, I mean. Yeah, so I launched it or, you know, I, I published it July 4th of last year and was on Fox and Friends. And, you know, after that, there wasn't a whole lot of attention. You know, there wasn't, you know, a lot of media attention. But, you know, I have a goal for the book. And, and so I had to keep that in the forefront. I'm like, okay, you know, if I really want to make this book into something that can be recognized nationally, you know, maybe internationally, we'll see. But, you know, I had to believe in it that it's really something special. And I do. I still, you know, I, I mean, every day I, I think that this book is really something special, you know, that my, my brother's life is worth telling. And so it just got, so I just, I was just doing all of this marketing myself, you know, social media, trying to build my platform on social media. And that's, that's really hard to do. Um, it's, it's a slow process. And so come December, I was December of 2018, I was talking to my husband and, and, you know, it's just kind of Googling like literary agents getting the book republished by, um, you know, one of the big publishing houses and, uh, you know, basically giving up all my royalties to the book because there's a big difference between being self-published and traditionally published. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you give away all your rights. And then of course, if, um, you know, this big, if the big publishing houses have, you know, the rights to your book and then somebody comes in and wants to make a movie, you really don't have any say. And so I did not want that. And so I just started, I was like, well, I need somebody to help me market this book. So I just started investigating um, uh, PR firms and I found five different PR firms and I basically pitched myself to each of them and um, a couple of them, you know, I, I weeded out pretty quickly. Um, and that just, that's just from, you know, gut feeling basically. And then one of them, you know, they read my book, very large PR firm, um, and it just blew me away that they offered me a six-month contract, and um, they wanted to market my book. And so, you know, they basically said, hey, you know, we can't really market a book that you released last year or six months ago. And they were like, can we do something fresh? Can we maybe add a forward? Can you... Can you try to get maybe somebody of influence to write a forward for you? Um, can you get some endorsements? And and I'm thinking, well, I can try, <laughs> but you know it's not likely. So I just started sending emails, you know, to people that I thought would um, be write good forwards for the book, uh, you know. And I I just I didn't hear back. And then you know I was just I was sitting on my bed one day and I was just like you know, how awesome would it be if Lieutenant Colonel Alan West would write my forward for me? He was um, um, sworn in the year my brother was killed in the same county, and he had met my brother. You know, he's familiar with the 4th Anglico unit. He knows those guys. Um, You know, he is a contributor on Fox News, so he's, you know, he's very well known, and um, I highly respect him as, you know, a person and, and, and I was just like, you know, this is such a long shot for me to even ask him. And my husband was like, you know, the only thing he could say is no, or he could say yes, you know, so you have a 50, 50 shot either way. And so I just, I sent him an email and, and I had even met him one time, got my picture with him. And, and, um, and so I emailed him and within 24 hours, he had responded with the forward. He said, attached to the forward. He sent me like this really heartfelt email, um, you know, and, and then he was like, Dang. and 
don't call me Lieutenant Colonel West. Call me Alan. We're friends, you know. And so just I was just blown away at his, you know, compassion and generosity and willing to put his name on something um, that was mine. And, you know, as a as a really a no name author. So, um, yeah, so I was I called the PR firm and I was like, I got a forward from Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, you know, congressman. So they were very excited about that. And then, you know, one of my favorite authors is Lynn Vincent. She wrote Heaven is for Real. She, you know, served in the military herself. Um, she wrote a lot of books, the same kind of different as me. Um, the newest one, Indianapolis, which is a New York Times bestseller. She's, she's got a lot of number one New York Times bestsellers under her belt. And, and so we had actually been, I followed her on Facebook or on Instagram for a while. Uh, we were, she, I followed her and I about fainted when she followed me back. And, and so I just, I approached her, um, on Instagram and I told her about my brother and I asked her if she would read my book and endorse it. And so I sent her an excerpt of it and, um, and she, she wrote me an endorsement, a blurb for the, for the cover of the book. And I was even like, can I, is it okay if I use this on the cover of my book? And she was like, yes, please, you know. <laughs> so that's pretty cool that I have um, Lynn Vincent's name on the back of my book. That just And then um, another great friend of mine, um, Dr. Reverend Sean Greener, he is very w- well-known, you know, national speaker, radio host, and, and, um, and author. So he you know, just, he's a great friend of mine. We've become friends over the years. We actually met at my brother's grave in Arlington National Cemetery on Memorial Day. So I just actually had lunch with him last week. And, and just, he said over the years, he's had a lot of people ask him to endorse their book. And out of everybody who's asked him, he's only endorsed two books and mine is one of them. So that, that just kind of blew me away too. Oh yeah. So yeah, doors started opening for me to hire this PR firm. And, um, you know, it really was a huge leap of faith, you know, because um, I don't think people really realize is that unless you're a New York Times bestselling author, you're not really making a whole lot on book sales. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I haven't profited anything from my book yet. I mean, and, and won't for a long, long time because of, you know, how much I have invested in this. And so, you know, it's a financial investment. It's a time investment. You know, it's a heart investment. And there's a lot of rejection. So, you know, you just, you know, I, I pray all the time for thick skin and a tender heart because <laughs> that's what it takes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been on some big, you know, I heard you on Software Up and they've got, quite a big audience now and you've uh you were at the you were with president trump a few months ago at an event at the was that at the white house or where was that at that was at his house in mar-a-lago so um yeah they were honoring my brother and they wanted my mom to say the pledge of allegiance and so my mom and i went up there with um congressman brian mast you know she said the pledge of allegiance and Donald Trump's home in his ballroom in front of 700 people, you know, congressmen, um, Lindsey Graham was there, Senator Lindsey Graham. I mean, just absolutely incredible moment to be up there um, and honoring my brother. I mean, it was yeah. just, it's a moment I'll never forget. So I got to shake, you know, President Donald Trump's hand. That was pretty cool. It's, it's, kind of a surreal ride right now next week i fly to los angeles i'll be on the hallmark home and family show sharing about the book yeah i, so I wish i had a dvr still i don't i don't have one anymore <laughs> but so i'll have to catch it i'm sure it'll show up i can watch it online but that'll be oh yeah forward to that and let's yeah, talk about actually... so well go ahead sorry oh no i was just gonna say they're actually airing it twice so they're gonna they're gonna air it the 20th and 21st of may and um so i'll definitely share it online so that's before Memorial Day. To talk about, I want to cover a few more things as we wrap up. Yeah. One of them is you wrote an article about teaching our children about patriotism, basically, <laughs> and it was and it was published on by the Today Show. Can you give us a brief summary of that and the reaction? Yes. So 
you know, I it was um, just a, a quick editorial that I had wrote about, you know, teaching our kids about preserving history and how to encourage respect and, and um, you know, remembering, you know, the sacrifice of our fallen soldiers and, you know, just ways that we can te- instill patriotism in our children. And, um, you know, things as simple as, you know, talking to family members, you know, at Section 60, maybe asking them about their, you know, fallen hero or, you know, even just saying, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, just kind of opening up a door of conversation, you know, to teach your kids, um, you know, about, about, you know, the sacrifice of our, our fallen and, you know, speaking respectfully about those in office and, and, um, you know, not constantly having negative talk in your home about, um, those in office, you know, but my, my viewpoint was, you know, let's talk positive ways of how we can make change instead of just talking, you know, about everything that's wrong. So, cause I think a lot of times when there's just constant negativity, we can kind of just really get sucked into that and not really know how to move forward. So, you know, I wrote this article and it was, I, I absolutely came from a politically neutral standpoint. Nowhere did I say if I was Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or a liberal, it was, you know, just what I'm trying to, what my husband and I are trying to instill in our kids. And so the today um, parents picked it up. I mean, they, they published it to their today parents website. And I was like, wow, that's really exciting that they agreed to, um, to post this article. And, and then, you know, my publicist was like, Hey, you know, if you get enough votes, you know, maybe they'll post it to your, to their today parents Facebook page. And so I just started recruiting people to, you know, read the article and, and vote on the article. And so I had about 200 votes and I was scrolling through my newsfeed and there it was today. Parents had posted my article to their Facebook page. So, um, that was, I felt like I had conquered the world, but then the negative comments started <laughs> and then it just kind of like made me crash and burn all over again. So, um, there weren't a whole lot of negative comments. Once, once people started really got a hold, actually, actually it was, I, you can tell that the negative comments came from people who didn't read the article. They saw the word patriotism and made assumptions off of that. And, um, and then people who actually started were reading the article, they were like, Whoa, wait, that's not what she's saying at all. Did you guys read the article? And so all of these people just started commenting like over and over. I mean, I ended up with like, I don't know, like 140 comments or something. You know, people were just like, well, this is a great article. So um, as of now, you know, it's just kind of the article on the Today Parents uh, website has kind of um, blown up a little bit. I'm over a thousand votes now, uh, which is insane. It's the number one openly discussed topic on Today Parents on their open discussion. So um, I never thought that would happen. So that's, that's pretty amazing, especially, you know, the topic. It is a great article. It's also a very easy read. It's not long, so it's well done. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. Thank you. It's kind of late to the party, but I did read it, I don't know, last week or so. Whenever you, whenever I finally saw it, I'm I'm a little behind on happenings of of today. (laughs) That's okay. You know, one thing my publisher taught me is that um, people like to read things that are easy to understand, and they don't want it to be really, really long. And so I always keep that in mind. Um, I actually cut a lot out of the book for that reason. Um, and, And so I always keep that in mind when I'm, you know, writing a blog post or editorial, you know, people are really, really busy, and they don't have a whole lot of time. So let's put in the key points. Um, keep the article short and and make it an easy read and people will, will read it and they'll be able to take something away from it. Yep. That's good advice. And also I see you're gonna you're gonna have an audio book, which I'm I'm gonna have as well. So I think that's a good move. Or well people was I keep supposed asking. To say that? <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, people have been asking me since before the last one or the first edition came out for an audio book and um, I just feel like 
I'm kind of at that point where, yeah, I need an audio book because people, I think, kind of get tired of story reading the books. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I've got two more questions, if you're good with this, Renee. One is sure. probably most importantly is why would my millions of listeners or, or my 500, however many it is, why would they want to read about Samuel Griffith? Boy, man, put me on the spot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, my brother lived a remarkable life. He was an exceptional person. Um, he was a person of um, extremely high moral character. Um, he was so funny and so lovable. And... I think anybody who reads about him will be inspired by his life. And I mean, someone even told me, you know, there might be some kid in India who has absolutely nothing. He doesn't have shoes on his feet who might end up getting a hold of this book and he might read about your brother's life and hit the perseverance that took him to become an F-18 fighter pilot. And he might, you know, end up, getting out of his situation and, you know, joining the military or becoming a pilot or an astronaut or, you know, who knows? Um, and so that was just so encouraging to me that somebody who had actually read the book, you know, was, was so inspired by my brother's life, you know, and I've had so many people who aren't military read my book who have felt an identification with, um, with the loss and an understanding of military loss, but even just perseverance of getting through hard times. Like, even if you haven't gone through a trauma, you know, I think really anybody can relate to going through times of difficulty and finding the strength within you to push through, you know, and, and to find hope. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think anybody, you know, this would be a great story for anybody. I think it's yeah. very relatable. And I think people can envision Sam trying to tell a joke, but not be able to, <laughs> being able to get through it because he keeps starts laughing. <laughs> or, yeah. so anyway, that was good. And you weren't the only one that said that about him, right? So Correct. I mean, that's one of his most endearing qualities is the fact <laughs> that none of us have ever heard a joke from my brother. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, one more thing. Um, I guess two more. I never got to my second question that I haven't forgotten about. But the other one is, having gone through what you've gone through, is there any phrases or words that you feel like we people shouldn't say to someone who has lost someone close to them? Oh, yeah. Like, I could go off on a ton of those. Um, but the, the biggest ones are, have, do you have closure? You should have closure. You know, it's if you... If you got to see him, you know, if you got to see him in a casket, you should have closure. Or if you didn't get to see him, you, you don't have closure. So what's good? You know, it's, it's that word closure because none mm -hmm. of us really ever have closure. I mean, it's um, there's just when you love somebody so deeply and who's such a major part of your life, there's there's never closure. Um, there's there's nothing that ever makes it OK. So. You know, that's one thing. Oh, boy. Um, you know, one of the major things after my brother died was, I, I mean, I was hurting so badly and I would go places and people would just like grab my arms and they would be like, how is your mom doing? You know, and I just wanted to punch him in the face <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. my world was falling apart. And I mean, no disrespect to my mom at all. But or my, you know, no, either of my parents or, too. Yeah, it'd be rough. Oh, know. yeah. But, um, you know, just that I I needed my grief to be acknowledged. And so from a sibling standpoint, one of the worst things you can do is to ask a sibling how everybody else in the family is doing. Yeah. You know, and, and not acknowledge that grief towards the sibling. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, you and I can probably talk, talk more on that subject later. Um, yeah. What about with Memorial Day, Renee? What? How has I don't know. How is Memorial Day different for you now than it was eight years ago, or nine years well, ago? Well, well, you know, now um, there's a there's a 
there's a level of grace you can extend to people um, who really don't understand Memorial Day because I was there one time, you know, eight years ago, I knew Memorial Day was a day to honor, you know, our fallen military, but, you know, it was also a three-day weekend. And, you know, I, I just, it, it's, it's, it's a 180 for me now. Um, now it's just a day of reverence. And, I mean, it's completely changed, you know, and, and I try not to let myself really, you know, get upset with people who, you know, do the whole boating and barbecue thing and, and, um, you know, don't really understand. Part of me is like, thank God they don't. Uh, but part of me is, you know, let's, let's educate, you know, let's talk to people, you know, let's tell them, Hey, you know, this day really isn't a day for, you know, it's not just a day for grilling out and, you know, eating hot dogs, you know, let's really talk about, you know, why, why we have this day and, um, and the families who, who are just really, really grieving, you know, the loss of, of their hero. I remember the first Memorial day after Mark was killed. So this would have been um, 2011 mm. and I was, I don't think it was Memorial day. I think it was the, probably the Saturday before. So two days prior Mm-hmm. And I was leaving the grocery store and in the, the newspaper right there, the Tuscaloosa news was a picture of my brother on the front page. Mm-hmm. And I was not prepared to see that. It just shook me pretty hard. It kind of made it made it real <laughs> again, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I think his picture was in every major newspaper, at least in, I mean, in the state, you yeah. know, that, that weekend. Well, Renee, what else would you like to say in closing about you, your book, your brother, all that? And um, also, please tell us how to, how to find you and follow you. My, when I think about, try not to get emotional when I talk about this. When I think about how we raise our kids and the generations that are coming up after us. And I think about the goodness in my brother and the fact that he was just a very respectful person who got stuff done. And, you know, he, he did so much good and he was so highly respected by his peers and his family. And, um, you know, I just, there needs to be more of him in this world. And I'm just, I'm so passionate about that, about, you know, teaching my kids kindness and compassion and perseverance and grit and, you know, making a difference in this world in a positive way like he did. So that, you know, when people tell stories, you know, when people tell stories about him, you know, there's, there's always a smile on their face because he was just, just a really, really genuine person. And who was deeply cared about and loved. And um, so I'll just, I'll just close with that about just, you know, doing a lot of um, looking inward at our own lives and how we can do better and how we can be better and how we can treat people better. Um, you can find the book. The book comes out June 14th, which is Sam's birthday. It is Flag Day. Um, I believe it's the army birthday as well. Um, and it's the day his, his Marine unit came home from Afghanistan. So it's a very significant day to me and, um, just honored that I get to have it republished and, um, everybody can find me at ReneeNickel.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm easy to find. You can, you can Google me now and, and find me pretty easy. So, um, yeah, that's, so right now I'm looking on Amazon. Where do you, where do you prefer people buy the book from? I prefer, um, I mean, really, I mean, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, that would be great. Amazon. If you, if you read the book and you want to leave feedback, reviews are always helpful. It helps the authors and it helps the reader. 
So mm-hmm. please, please leave reviews if you if you get the book. Right now, you can get it for a dollar ninety nine on uh, the first edition Kindle, which is going to be changing soon. Um, that price is going to change soon uh, with the with the release of the of the new edition. So it won't be at a dollar ninety nine forever. Um, so if you want to get it at that price, get it quick because it's so probably if I ordered it next week. If I wanted a physical copy right now, if I'm just on Amazon and I order, yeah. would I get it, or is it going to be on hold until the new so, release? Yeah, the first edition. Um, if you go to Amazon, the first edition you can get in paperback or hardcover. Um, the second edition will have forward by Alan West on it, and that you cannot get until June. 14th. You can pre-order it, but you will not get the actual physical book until yeah. June 14th. I'm guessing the pre-orders are on your website then, is that right? Um, I have I have signed copies on my website, so they can go okay. to my website if they want a signed copy. Great. Everything else um, is, is done through all the major book retailers. So. Okay. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure, and thank you for coming on Patriot of the Core, and I've wanted to do this for many, many months. So I've been the whole time. I'm well. sorry, but it's uh, but no. thank, you. thank you for opening thank you your so heart. Thank you for having me. <laughs> wasn't easy. wasn't easy for me either, by the way, over over here on this end. I I you know I thought of you through this whole thing, so I I understood. You know, from one gold star sibling to another, <laughs> um, you know, there's there's always a a little bit of that wanting to hold back. You know, so anyway, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I've loved it. So God bless you.